The views and content expressed on the following program are provided solely for informational and entertainment purposes. They do not constitute legal advice. A podcast is not a substitute for retaining a competent, licensed attorney to advise you on your specific legal situation. How's it going, everybody? Welcome to the show. It is time for Break the Business, where we empower indie creators and have some fun along the way. I'm Ryan Carella, and it is a pleasure to have you here this week. I know, folks, I sound a little different. I look a little different. I'm away from the studio this week. I am out traveling. I am at a conference, but the Break the Business train is staying on the tracks. We're going to keep on rolling because we got a fantastic show. So you knew I was going to be a part of it. Uh, even if I have to do this from a hotel room to bring the show to you, that's what we're going to do because, man, it's going to be a great show. Joining us later in the show, our guest this week, excited to talk to Josh Simons, the founder and CEO of Vamper, a social media platform for musicians. I've had the pleasure of checking out Vamper the last few days and weeks, learning about this platform. It's the real deal. It's really Fun, it's cool. It combines a lot of different things that a lot of other social media platforms do that are fantastic. Excited to dig into it with them. But before we get into that, before we talk to Josh, got to talk to another gentleman in the music industry that I love chatting with. Our co-host this week, Zach Sloan's joining us. How's it going, Zach? If Break the Business is a train that makes you the conductor, our producer the engine, and me the caboose, I'm doing great. Toot, toot. Love it. Man, it is such a thrill to be talking to you. Every once in a while, my friend, a tweet comes along and my fr- and it's so like juicy and so awesome and so like speaks to indie musicians that my first thought, no kidding, no lie, is man, I got to show this tweet to Zach Sloan. <laughs> and I have one of those tweets this week. God. You remember about a month or two ago, Zach, we were talking about that story of that band that showed their financials from playing a tour and Wednesday. showed how even... Yeah, and they, and they were playing a bunch of gigs, and even though they had a bunch of gigs, they were basically losing money on their tour because of the expenses of lodging, because of how little they were getting paid. A bunch of uh, a bunch of jerks on in the internet comments were saying things like, "Oh, you should just sleep in your van because you know that's not dangerous." And you know, you and I like talked about that and talked about how like that's a legitimate plight for indie musicians to go through. Does all that kind of ring a bell for you? Absolutely. In fact, I became a fan of that band after we talked about them because I listened to them and they're awesome. Oh, very cool. So keep that in mind when you see this tweet that came in from Future of Music, one of my favorite accounts on Twitter. Laura, can you pull this tweet up for us? So from Future of Music Coalition, free idea, publicly funded all ages venues that offer touring musicians healthy food, lodging and fair pay. So imagine like government funded venues that have like a little dormitory right on site where the musicians can stay that uh, pay, you know, a a fair wage that feed them food so that bands like Wednesday, when they're coming to town, don't have to figure out where to sleep, know they're going to get paid a fair wage. And that particular city is always getting uh, enriched by new bands that are coming in and uh, enriching the neighborhood with music. Uh, to quote Peter Griffin, why are we not funding this? <laughs> <laughs> I feel like they do this somewhere in Europe already. That is correct. Uh, I yes, feel they do. Yes, they I, do. As I, I found out. Um, I think it's a great idea. Um, one thing that, in fact, I, w- I was thinking about this just the other day in a different context. Small towns, like, because anybody who knows me, I'm from a tiny town in New Mexico. Like, there were 10 in my graduating class, y'all. I'm from a small town. But some of these smaller markets, it's not possible to really get music or anything and they're in the middle of nowhere so if something like this in a smaller town you could like play dallas texas a smaller a smaller community right that you normally couldn't p- play because there wouldn't be enough money involved and then go to albuquerque or something like that i think this is a great idea i think it's a win-win the musicians and the acts because it's not, not just musicians right comedians could do it um the, i could yeah. see theater troops coming through um communities need this kind of stuff um 
musicians need to get paid. I mean, entertainers need to get paid. I think it's a real win-win. Um, also, talk about the a boost to an economy in, in uh, towns that don't have something like this, or even big cities that creates jobs. I, I think it's dope. Let's do it. Yeah. Seems like a really, really cool idea. Just another great public service that uh, cities and municipalities can offer that's just a win for everybody. It's a win for the people who live in that neighborhood, and it's a win for creators to not only know that there's a place where they can play, but of equal importance, as you and I have discussed, a place where they can stay. Yeah. And we do have a, a sort of a, a non-public uh, version of this where people travel all over the country and stay uh, at a place and they're called house concerts, right? right? We have those, a lot of musicians that we've had on this program, including Jessica Lossery is the first one that comes to mind are musicians that make a living playing house concerts where people have concerts at their house. And then usually that artist can stay at the house or at least stay in the driveway just so they're safe or whatever the kind of the situation is. But the thing about house concerts is they're not necessarily reliable. They're not, you know, they're, they're great for smaller, you know, if you're having 50 people show up at your house, but you can't pack in 300 people into your house. And for a lot of house concert owners, there's some liability there. Like as a lawyer, I would have a lot of trepidation about hosting a house concert at my house because I would be turning my home into a business and imposing a lot of liability on myself if somebody were to trip and fall or something like that. So to me, house concerts are nice and a lot of musicians have benefited from them, but that's not a sustainable solution. It's not, that's not a permanent solution to the bands, to the problems that like bands like Wednesday are having. Well, I, th I love house concerts. I've hosted house concerts. I've played house concerts. I think they're great. The problem with house concert is, concerts is, is you don't reach a new audience, typically, right? Like one of the mm. great things about hitting the road in playing places, and by the way, shout out to Texas. My band went down to uh, Texas a couple weeks ago. I forgot how much fun it is to play down there. We're just, it's part of the culture where people go out and they pay a cover charge to see a band. And the expectation is, is that you're going to be good, but if you're good, they're going to have a good time. Right, that type of community doesn't really exist with house concerts because they're not as, they're not you know there's not always a house concert at a place every Saturday, yeah. Um, and these venues, if they are having regular you know performances, then there's going to be a crowd that can build up there, right? And you can build a, a base of people who are going to come see you, and you can expose your music to new people. So I again love house concerts. This seems like a slam dunk, and I would love to see it coming. Um, I'd actually like to be involved with helping get some of this kickstarted. This is. This is fantastic. Yeah, I wonder if this, if it's publicly funded, I think that's great. But I wonder to what extent the solution is not with public funding, but maybe this is something where nonprofits can step in and fill the gap. I'm not sure, but I'm excited to explore it. And if you're not following uh, Future of Music on Twitter, they are so great. So many awesome insights like this, whether it comes to the future of the industry, of music policy, a lot you can learn from this account, so definitely follow them. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a huge fan. I, you know what? There are some comedy clubs that do this. Is that I'm right? Think, I'm thinking about it because I've talked to some comics who there are some clubs that have an apartment like above the club or behind the club, and it's actually a bigger draw. They will take less money to play those clubs. See, Lauren's on it with me. I see, yeah, producer Lauren, uh, looks like she's champing at the bit there with something to say. Am, am, I, am I on target here? I'm holding my tongue backstage because essentially what you guys are talking about is what regional theaters have been doing for years. They get private funding and government funding that supplement non-for-profit organizations that then put up their performers and do their shows with a season subscription that people come to see regardless of who the performers are. Like, this is a thing that's done um, and, and done well. The problem that I see in doing it even when you get to a musician's tier and whatnot is the infrastructure that has to go in place. Somebody to keep track of the housing, to keep it clean, to keep things up to date on them, who's uh taking on the making sure that the bills get paid and the coordinating between the mm -hmm. venue and the housing and the all the the stuff it becomes another venue just like a theater does it just mm -hmm. happens to be running music but it's uh it's nice to think that like money would do it but it takes a lot of infrastructure and you can start a not-for-profit and apply for government 
funding and grants and it's not easy to get, uh, but those opportunities are there. So, you know, Zach, let's open a venue and let's apply for grant money and uh, figure out how to house because housing where you live way easier than housing where we live. Mm. So you should know Zach for as long as I've known uh, my sister producer Lauren. <laughs> she's been trying to get venues up and running like her dream, her her pie in the sky dream like more than anything else in the world. She wants a theater to call her own. She wants her own venue that she could do whatever she want with. Yeah, except I don't want to stay there is the problem. Like I I like seeing all of the venues in the world. Uh, oh. Speaking of venues in the world and what you guys are talking about is Alaska. So when I was touring up in Alaska, there's all these small towns, these towns that couldn't afford to bring in a performer, a band or whatever, because they're doing their shows in an old airplane hangar that's been converted into a performance space. Um, and so what they do is they all get together and the places like in Anchorage will bring in acts and artists that will be good for the masses. And you'll wind up going into that anchor city that can afford to fly you in and pay for you and tack on a bunch of other shows in the area. Mm -hmm. So you can do touring stuff while the funding is coming from an organization that can afford to take the brunt of that. Hmm. I dig that. <laughs> I can dig it. See, <laughs> these things, these things are entirely possible. We just need somebody with drive, with determination, with the organizational skills to do it. And Lauren Corella, I nominate you because I'm not going to do it. Anytime <laughs> any of your productions or shows or concerts, like when you don't know what to do next, there's always an option. Yeah. So you just got to write out a list of them. We'll figure it out. And and of greatest importance, as, as Zach mentioned, there is a lot of this happening over in Europe. There are analogs to this in the United States, whether it is regional theater or it's house concerts. Like we didn't invent this. Like it exists in some way in different places in the world, but it is something that I think is sorely needed. It's something that cities need and it's something that creators need. Um, and because it brings people together, which I think is a nice segue to talk more about Vamper before we bring in some of these other stories. Cause before, but we're going to, obviously we're going to talk about Vamper and there goes Lauren. We're going to talk about Vamper a great deal when we bring Josh Simons in, but I wanted to chat with you a little bit about it, Zach, just because I dig this platform and it's awesome. I've been exploring it. I, I, I love it. Like I, I want to hear what you like most about it, but I'm going to tell you what I like about it is that it kind of combines together a lot of what makes multiple kinds of social media platforms effective, like different kinds, and then blends them all together in something that is just for musicians to connect with other musicians and move their careers forward. So like, for example, you get like the news feed aspect of Twitter. You get the sharing uh, of music aspect that you see on a Twitter and Instagram. But and I think this is my favorite feature in terms of creating connections to musicians. You have this Tinder like interface where the yes. first thing you see when you open the platform is you get like a swipe left, swipe right thing where you can see a new musician often in your geographic area. You can listen to their music. You can see kind of what kind of connections they're sort of making. And then you can decide whether you want to connect with them or not. But what better way to connect with musicians in your area than to be have them put right in front of your face like you were looking for a match on tw on Tinder? Yeah, I 100% agree, except with the caveat if my wife listens to this. I've never used Tinder. But um, <laughs> what I love about it is there used to be a website. And for the love of me, life of me, I can't remember what it was. But it used to be a, a website that was geared at finding musicians for other musicians so you could play in bands. It eventually got replaced by Craigslist, which was its whole weird thing. My point being that that process of finding other musicians got increasingly scummier and scummier as the years went by. Oh, yeah. Vamper is a huge upgrade to where that process was in its beginnings, right? It, it, at its best. Vamper is better than this has ever been um, for musicians. Because even in my just short time playing with it, I was like, man. There's all these musicians that I can connect with. That I, I can sample their music. And like the producer in me is like, oh, I'd like to work with that person. I'd like to work with that person. The songwriter is like, oh, I should write with this person because they do these things that I like. It's really, really cool. If you're a multifaceted musician like myself, where you're a writer, a producer, you know, a, a guitarist, pianist, whatever, the, the collaborative opportunities are almost endless. It's, in, it's an incredibly cool platform. And I got to say the design of it, just like you said, combining the the newsfeed 
the interface to find other musicians is just just so clean. And I wish all other social media would take notice of how clean Vamper is, because it's going to be the only one that actually lives on my phone, because I've pulled everything else off my phone. And we haven't even gotten into like the publishing aspects on this uh -huh. platform, the education stuff, the distribution stuff. It's a lot of services under one roof. And I know it sounds like we're doing a paid advertisement for these folks. I assure you we're not. We're just both this legitimately blown away by this platform. We're excited to talk to Josh Simons all about in the next break. Let me let me talk to you about this story real quick, Zach, before we go to break. And, uh, and I know you have some stories too, so we'll try to get those in as well. But I was intrigued by an article I saw recently in the Bandzoogle blog from Sonny Hakim, who wrote a terrific article about strategies that any creator can use to create and promote their content in less time. The article's titled, for those of you looking for it, Five Tips for Musicians to Plan Content in Advance. And while the article has lots of great advice in it, what it really boils down to is, if you want to create and promote your content more efficiently, group your content tasks together and plan your content ahead of time. Now, in terms of grouping tasks together, this means recording multiple pieces of content in one period of time, such as by dedicating a single day of the week or a you know once one week every month to just creating, doing one type of task. Uh, a similar strategy can be done with editing, like set aside one day a week just to edit, edit multiple pieces of content in the same session rather than editing each work after you create it. Um, because by doing that, by grouping tasks together, you get uh, you know you get scale economies. You're not starting and stopping constantly, so you can get more done in less time. Now, planning uh, ahead is also critical in saving time with your content. There are lots of great content calendar apps out there that are really helpful for this, that help you schedule the time, uh, not just for creating your content, but for developing ideas. If you have a great idea for a piece of content, you put it in your calendar, you workshop it so that you don't have to think about what I'm going to create later when it actually comes down to creation time. And you can also use these apps to schedule when you create, promote, and uh, post your content. Now, for a lot of artists, there are great apps out there that can do this for you. But I've seen a lot of artists, even very high-profile ones like top influencers, who just use an Excel spreadsheet for their content calendar. There are great like templates you can use, and that works just fine for them. But when I've talked to a lot of influencers and a lot of folks who have to put out a lot of content in a short period of time, these hyper creators, we've called them on this show, they all swear by this where they don't try to make content, you know, every day. It's, you know, uh, Brooke Berry, a, a influencer we had on the podcast a couple years ago. She said, Saturday is content day. When I do all my TikTok videos, I do them all in one day. I do, you know, nine or 10 in a day, different settings, different clothes, different costumes so that I get them all done in a day so that that's all I have to worry about. And then I can set aside another day for editing and for calendaring. And by grouping tasks together, you save a lot of time. And that's how a lot of these hyper-creative influencers can really churn out a lot of stuff in a short period. I, I was blown away by this article. I'm glad that uh, somebody on this blog finally put a voice to what I've been hearing a lot of artists tell me for a long time. Well, I mean, it's just, I mean, to talk about the definition of work smarter, right? Yeah. Um, I can tell you in my, you know, nothing wastes time like changing um, changing directions. And so yeah, yeah. I did a similar thing. Like if I had, you know, if I'm working on a couple of records at a time, I'm only working on one in a day, right? If I'm working on a, on a project of mine, it's like today is I'm working on this specific thing. Uh, because if I start jumping around and mixing this, mastering that, recording this, everything gets really inefficient really, really quickly. And for those creators out there who are doing multiple things, like maybe you're a, a TikToker, a musician, you know, and an actor, uh, this seems like almost, you know, exponentially more valuable to do things this way, um, because that uh, that shifting in gears is is amplified when you're doing very different things. So I think this is fantastic. Yeah, doing a lot of different kinds of tasks in one day is usually a recipe for inefficiency. A lot of efficiency experts, not even just in the entertainment industry, but in, in just uh, general work and productivity, and will often speak to separating tasks of planning from tasks for execution. Uh, I do this in my legal practice. I will often set aside um, a whole day where I will set aside what I'm going to be doing for the week, how, you know, planning out what gets done and when, what, when I'm going to work on certain kinds of tasks and how I group them together. 
so that when the day comes that I have to execute something and get it done, I don't have to think of what am I going to do that day? When am I going to do it? What is that process going to look like for getting it done? Because that is that creates a lot of fatigue, a lot of decision fatigue. You want to get those decisions done early so that all you have to focus on is execution, which by the way, when your job is to be creative, as, as these influencers are, like clearing everything out so that all you have to focus on is creative execution is critical. Well, and as somebody who's, who's you know worked in the creative side of things, right? Um, nothing is more freeing than knowing that this is all you have to do. If you don't have oh, things yes. calendar, calendared and you're just like, oh, what are these things? I'm Other things I have to do, what am I doing next? That's taking away from your brain space in the moment. And nothing kills creativity like stress like that. So this all makes total sense. Um, I did this back in my law practice as well. Um, slightly different context, but it, it was, it's, it's a very useful tool. And even though you, t you talked about all the apps, I've always done it with the, with a spreadsheet myself. It's fantastic. Uh, spreadsheet, man. Uh, it's funny. A lot of these creators are like, cause I mean, there are, like, don't get me wrong. There are a lot of fantastic content calendar apps out there. I've seen them. I've been at industry conferences where very smart Silicon Valley types are like, this is the app we designed it. You know, we put millions of dollars into it. It's the best. And I'll still see very prominent hyper creators be like, yeah, I use an Excel spreadsheet. I swear by it. And so like, this isn't something that you have to spend a lot of money on. There are great templates out there. You just type in content calendar template. You're going to find what you need there. And I am thrilled, Zach, that as I brought this up, I was hoping you'd be like, yeah, as a music producer, I swear by this. It would have been really awkward if you were like, yeah, I don't do any of this. And I'm a great producer. No, I would get lost. Like, especially I'm, you know, in the past few years, I've only taken on one project at a time. Um, but when I was working on multiple projects, this was essential, right? Yeah. Especially because if you start talking about not knowing what you're doing, not if you don't know what you're doing, when you're doing, and when you need to get it done by, that's how you miss deadlines, right? And so this, mm. and I can see why TikTokers do this, right? Because the TikTok deadline is daily. So you got to be on top of that. And so this makes a ton of sense. And it just, it frees you up from a lot of stress. So Love it, but yeah, I think Suze Polinsky actually has a pretty good spreadsheet. If I'm not, if I if I remember right, for this type she of thing. does. You are absolutely. Is it the Rockstar Calendar? I believe the Rockstar yeah. Calendar is um a, a, actually an account a calendar I used for years. Now I'm a spreadsheet dude, but I think she also has a spreadsheet that if you, I should I should ask her. But I, I Rockstar spreadsheet. I'm pretty sure she also has a spreadsheet template you can download. Um, I'll, I'll reach out and ask her, but her calendar, but you know what? That's a better point. Use her calendar. Cause that thing is dope. That gives you a day by day breakdown of what you're doing. Yeah. It's really, really solid stuff. We, I haven't had her on in a while. We got to chat with Suze Polinsky, see what she's up to. She's super, super cool. One of our favorites here at break the business. Now, Zach, um, we do have a few minutes and I know you have like a, a few things you wanted to talk to me about. Is there a, which, which topic would you like to, to start us with? All right, so we're still in the music music news realm. Um, at the end of the show, if we got a couple minutes, I got a pop culture one for you. But here's something that I read and I went, I can't believe that wasn't already done. And I'm pulling this actually from NPR. It's about a week old at this point. But the AMAs have added a K-pop category. I can't believe that's that just happened. Because last I checked, K-pop is actually really popular in... The, everywhere so you would think yeah. it would already be there um and what's interesting to me about it is for people who are like oh that's not really an american thing i looked at the list of the first nominees and i i had heard of at least all of them so this yeah. is something that i was kind of shocked wasn't already a thing but this also tells you how out of touch i am with um award shows but bts won their first award in 2018 so how is this were they taking it was it in the pop category yes it was by the way um, but this is something that struck me as really interesting because this is a cash cow for somebody out there whoever owns the rights not probably not the bands um, and for the fact that it's just now getting picked up as a uh, as a as a legitimate form according to the AMAs was a little shocking to me Ryan was this news to you it is absolutely shocking to me but I uh I definitely would file it under right in the thick of the it's about damn time file. So my theory is for the reason why we don't see K-pop 
getting the appreciation it deserves in whether it's in the Grammys or, you know, or in this case now just recently with the AMAs finally acknowledging it, there's kind of two forces at work there. One is a lot of these award shows historically are just so painfully slow to acknowledge new genres or just new award categories that appreciate how the industry is changing. It wasn't until this upcoming Grammys, for example, that we finally have a Grammy award for best video game score. Even though True. at this point, more people probably listen to video game scores than film scores. We only are now just getting a songwriter of the year award for the Grammys, even though songwriters are obviously so important to the industry. Wait, and then, what? So yeah, right? We've had a producer of the year award forever. We just get, are getting a songwriter of the year award, award in Grammys. Second force that's kind of at work here with award shows is just all of these awards and the music industry in general is just failing to acknowledge the force that is K-pop and, you know, how popular it is to the music going public, even in the United States, especially in the United States. BTS is has taken over this country. They are a phenomenon unlike something we haven't seen ever but you wouldn't know it from any of the Grammy nominations list where these folks are completely left off every year. And that's just the industry failing to acknowledge what is now a recent development in the music industry. And I think the, the best path here might be to do what AM, the AMAs are doing, and that is to create K-pop as a separate category in the award shows, because it is pretty distinctive from oh, what yeah. we might consider traditional American pop music. So maybe if we had a separate category for like Asian pop, where we take K-pop, J-pop, and Mando pop and put them in it, its own category uh, for purposes of like the awards and things like that. If, cause I mean, and hopefully with the hope eventually that we're just going to acknowledge these genres contribution to mainstream pop and get them the recognition they deserve. Right. But until then, like the fact that we're not awarding K-pop artists in these mainstream award shows is flabbergasting to me. Oh, it's ridiculous. I mean, this this has just, you know, echoes of when, how long it took the Grammys to add hip hop, right? Oh, yeah. Uh, so, man, I can't believe, the songwriter of the year thing is flooring me, Ryan. <laughs> is that like, crazy? Dude, like, that's something that's so, I swear that I've seen it before, but I haven't. Like, that's how unbelievable it is, is I'm creating memories in my head which don't exist. Can you just <sighs> imagine, like, you know, this gets announced, right? We're going to have Songwriter of the Year, and Diane Warren, Desmond Child, and Max Martin are like, where has this been? I would have 75 Grammys on my mantle. It's maybe that's why they didn't do it. They're like, listen, we're going to give this to these three writers, and then as of 2007, <laughs> Taylor Swift. And that's then right. that's just, that's, you know, it's right. too easy. So, but now we're just going to give them all to Ryan Tedder. Yeah. <laughs> Like, yep it's oh, um man. oh ryan you've you've made you know what every year i feel like i can't get more sour on the grammys and then you tell me these things and i don't know to be happy or angry maybe both well we sh we need to award bts while we still can if i if i read correctly i believe they may be starting military service soon because they have mandatory military service in south korea so that's what i call a segue because that was topic number two is oh there we go they they actually the older members were able to get their military service delayed um as basically international international spokespeople for south korea but they are all entering so for at least the next two years they have to serve at least 18 months if i recall um for the next two years the world will be without bts which i think may actually serve them in the long run for the better taylor swift as you know, I can't go an episode without talking about Taylor. She'll take, you know, some chunks of time off in between records, and it only seems to build anticipation for her music. Same thing with Beyonce. So, if you thought BTS was big now, can you imagine what their comeback tour is going to look like? I I wish them only the best, but like, I mean, but K-pop is such a fickle genre, right? That's like, true. there's there's a lot of artists going in and out, and now BTS might be kind of separate because of. You know, they might be immune to this to some extent because they do seem to be something of a global phenomenon. But, I mean, you know, 10 years ago, like we were all talking about how Psy was going to be the biggest artist in K-pop. And, you know, now he's not really somebody we acknowledge here in the U.S. So, like, is 
eventually K-pop or is eventually BTS going to get replaced by somebody else? Like is, is Blackpink going to kind of take, you know, fill in their lane as like the K-pop artist that uh, Americans care about. I don't know. I mean, if I were a pop artist in general, I would be very nervous about anything that takes me out of the industry for two years. But obviously, you know, this is public service. That's true. And I mean, Thanks. You know what, Ryan? You just keep every time I come on, you just dash my hopes. Just a little bit more. You know what? What am I doing, people? Tweet at me about. No, I'm just kidding. This is fun. Um, that's a good point. K-pop is fickle in a way that I think some genres aren't. Although you know, American pop's relatively fickle as well. That's but true. I just hope the best for these guys because I I'm not a huge fan of their music, but I respect what they do. I mean, it's it's cool. Like I know you I know you blast dynamite. Come on. I wish. Um, I'm more of a rock and roll guy, but I'll tell you what, it, anything that touches that many people and inspires that level of fandom, I got to respect it because I don't have that many fans. Yeah. Right on. Um, that, that was, those were good topics. Anything that, like, you know how to like get me going just by anything involving Grammys and award shows, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll go off. Great, great stuff. All right. We're going to take a quick break. We're going to be joined by Josh Simons of Vamper coming up next. Don't go anywhere. Keep checking out Break the Business. Ryan Carella here. I hope you're enjoying the show and I hope that you're getting a lot out of it. I do what I do because I care about creators like you. A lot. I've dedicated my career to helping creative professionals, entrepreneurs, and organizations move forward. I do it by hosting this program, and I'm also proud to do it in my legal practice. If you're a creative professional looking for solutions-oriented legal services to help you further your goals, I'd love to help. My firm RKPA does contracts, commercial law, copyright, trademark, and more. Visit rkpalaw.com to learn more. That's rkpalaw.com. Ryan A. Corella, PA, Miami, Florida. Streaming services for Break the Business provided by L.E.K. Entertainment. L.E.K. Entertainment is a full-service entertainment company offering everything from consultations to full-scale events and productions, including audio and video productions, voiceovers, staged theatrical productions, script and music development, and streaming services. For more information, visit lekentertainment.com. L.E.K. Entertainment wants to help you bring your story to life. Thanks for supporting Break the Business. If you have a question or topic that you want us to discuss, email us at breakthebusiness at gmail.com. You can follow the host, that's me, on Twitter at Ryan K-A-I-R, and you can follow the show at The BTB Podcast. Be sure to subscribe to the show on Twitch, YouTube, and Facebook, and on all major podcast platforms. And now, let's get back to the show. Welcome back to Break the Business, you lovely humans. Ryan Corelli here, joined by Zach Sloan, and we are just having an absolute blast and so thrilled to have each and every one of you with us, wherever you're checking us out, whether it's on a podcast platform, whether it's on a live streaming platform, it's on Sirius XM channel 145, much less slam radio. We're thrilled to have you, and we're thrilled to be joined by our guest coming up right now. He is the co-founder and CEO of Vamper the world's largest social professional network for musicians, which has been included on the best apps list for Google and Apple. In 2020, our guest was named to the Music Network's 30 Under 30 list, and you can find out more about our guest's work by visiting www.vampr, that's V-A-M-P-R, dot me. We are happy to welcome Josh Simons on a break the business. Hi, Josh. Well, with an introduction like that, we could just pack up and go home, right? Nice. Later, dudes. See you guys. No, good to be uh, here, Ryan and Zach. How you doing? I'm uh, doing all right. So I, you know, I, 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 it sounds like you really enjoyed our intro, which we're happy to hear. And I hope you also enjoyed, I don't know how much of the first segment you listened to where Zach no, and I, I were just to, kind of I, engaged I in this love fest in. about your platform. I, I tuned out when you were talking about us because it, it's like listening to your own voice on an answering machine. But, um, <laughs> but I did tune back in to hear you talk about spreadsheets and, you know, <laughs> stuff like that. And the funny thing is, so before running Vampa, I was an artist project called Buchanan. And, um, you know, we had some hits and stuff in like Australia and nowhere else. Um, but I, you know, had to pump out albums and I had commitments to labels. And we also 
you know, it was the start of social media. So we had to post on Instagram X number of times a week. And I only ever used a spreadsheet and, um, and I never use any of the tools and there were less tools back then. But even now, when I think about how our marketing team in Vampa schedules our uh, social media posts, some of them like using the tools and then the other half just use spreadsheets. And I, I, it makes me smile. I just sit back and let them go with what works for them ultimately. I can hear the smile on your face, Zach. If I didn't know any better, I think he might be more excited talking about spreadsheets at his own platform. Now, I mean, don't get me wrong. Uh, you know, I love spreadsheets too, as much as the next guy, but you know, uh, it's just, uh, I, just, I, just, I love how much this lit you up. Oh, I just, I thought it was a fun chat. I was like, I should have been in from the start of this show. <laughs> <laughs> Well, we'll know next time we have you on. If we get into a, a good spreadsheet talk, we're just going to bring you right out of the green room. We'd hate to leave you out. All right. Sounds good. All right. Well, I do want to talk to you about Vamper because in the first segment, we were we were really just uh, you know singing your praises about it because we think it's a really cool platform that uh, you know takes a lot of what other social media platforms do well, but really creates something that's unique. To musicians so i want to know what inspired you here what inspired you to develop this platform what problem were you trying to solve specifically for musicians knowing that there are already so many social media platforms out there yeah so that's a, a great question and it kind of it rolls on from i talked about my artist project before when that started wrapping up a little bit when i say wrapping up like we were kind of going from strength to strength but it was getting increasingly hard to break new markets. And the trend that I observed was, okay, it took me like five to 10 years to crack the Australian market. But then when I went back to the UK, which is where I'm from, um, I couldn't just get, you know, keep going from where I'd already gotten to. And so I was really starting from square one. And that didn't make sense to me because it costs a lot of money to move to these big towns. Like whether it's New York or Los Angeles or Berlin or London or Melbourne, all of these big music cities around the world, you can't afford five years. You can in your early 20s, but every five years you can't afford to sort of move to a new place and start from scratch. And so you looked around at the time and you you could say distribution's pretty easy, publishing's pretty easy, building a fan base is even easy, but building a professional network, really difficult. Like LinkedIn sucks and it doesn't do anything for people in creative fields. So that was the sort of, okay, this is a problem. And then the project was still going. We were still doing, we were at the height of our career. We were touring with Keith Urban and Carrie Underwood and things were going really well. But um, I was captured by this idea. And so I went and did some research and spoke to a lot of people in the industry and a lot of, you know, stars and a lot of bedroom musicians too. And everyone had this sort of commonality that it took them in that five to 10 year sort of order to find the person that could take their career to the next level. Like, how do we algorithmically connect the Pauls and the Johns? That was the question that started playing in my head. I like that. And so that, like, it started off as a side project and I raised a little bit of, you know, friends and family money and all that kind of stuff that you generally do in a startup. That got us to the first version and then, then suddenly we had shareholders and it became a, a company and a responsibility. And so that was back in 2016. Wow. And loving to see where this platform is and and unlike a lot of startup social media platforms that you know come across where the idea is well intentioned but you can tell that the interface still kind of needs some work and the user experience still needs some work vampir is really solid it's fun to use you can get into it right away it in terms of that connection aspect that you talk about it doesn't take like you can be on that platform and start connecting with musicians in under five minutes. And I imagine that's by design. It is by design. If you don't find at least someone that you genuinely want to connect with in your first session, you'll probably churn. Um, so we have to make it good enough that we'll provide you someone amazing in the first session. But if we connect you with someone too good, you'll, you'll do what's called positive churn, which means you've left, but for the right reasons, because you found your collaborator and you no longer have a use <laughs> for the platform. And that doesn't mean that we give them sort of the next best candidate or anything like that, but we then have to rely on social social features and, and tools, um, push notifications and education features and publishing things, stuff we can get into, but we have to continually add value and provide reasons for people to come back. So. It's very tricky what we do because we are dealing with 
negative and positive churn. Um, and then obviously we've got our core users that come back religiously on a on a weekly basis as well. So um, there's a lot to consider, but I've been doing it for seven years, so I've gotten pretty pretty good at, at, at managing that, but it's hard, it's not easy. Do you have any cool stories of musicians that got a big opportunity from your platform that you like to share? Yeah, there's plenty. Um, I mean, there's two kinds of success story in my mind. There's the person who started on Vampa, met someone else on Vampa, and then together they had national or international level success like that. The, the, a story like that is inspiring because it's an example of horizontal networking. Um, but then there's the other stories where a celebrity or a very uh, experienced producer will come to the platform and find a new artist and sign them. And so then that's someone big coming into Vampa to find someone new and give them a, a break. And that's an example of vertical networking. So there's two very distinct types and I'll go through an example on each side. So my favorite example on the horizontal side would be a girl called um, Ray Khalil. She was a female rapper in LA. Um, she had a really, well, she's a great rapper, number one, and we've met her and she's just so, super gifted, but she had all these ideas in her head, but had no idea how to make music. Um, then she got an ad, saw an ad for Vampa, downloaded the app, um, connected with a guy called Jared Rubens, who's in some other part of California. About a month later, they just decided to bite the bullet and get a place together and record a whole album. Uh, that album then got them a, a record deal and then she went on to appear on Netflix show Rhythm and Flow with Chance the Rapper and uh, Anderson Pack and uh, I think T.I. A whole bunch of really big huge rappers and she's working on the follow-up now with a lot of them going to provide sort of guest spots. So I love that story because she came up with someone that was on her own level and, and they used their combined talent to achieve something greater than the sum of its parts and, and catapult. And then, you know, on the vertical side, there's this very big, uh, well, there's a duo of producers in the UK called the Salt Wives who have, you know, gotten together, I think, 20 billion streams. They've produced for Sia, One Direction, Zane. You know, they've just did a K-pop. Uh, who's the biggest K-pop um, artist right now in the world? What's her name? Uh, anyway, her latest single. Um, and anyway, these guys we found out recently had been using Vampa for years to find all their new songwriting signees because they have a publishing company. Um, and uh, that was just very lovely for us to, to know. I mean, we, we, we're well aware of the fact that there are a lot of bigger names on there that like to keep themselves fairly anonymous and they use Vampa to scout and then, you know, provide the opportunity perhaps off platform, but um, we're getting better at, at weeding those things out and, and highlighting them because they're exciting stories. It is exciting. The The ease of connection and the kind of connections you can make on that platform is really cool. But Vamper is more than just a connection platform. As you mentioned, it's also a platform that has a distribution, music distribution uh, aspect to it. Artists can find publishing opportunities on that platform. There's also an education component. Artists can learn about the industry and get training. So it's really trying to provide a lot of solutions that indie creators need. Did you always envision that all of these things were going to be a part of Vamper or did they sort of emerge later? They've, they've emerged naturally as demand has asked or, you know, has become apparent. Um, what do I mean by that is, so if you look at like, say a Lander or a Splice, these are music tech companies that offer like services. And every service or solution isn't, there's not necessarily a through line between them, right? Um, and that's their challenge and and finding ways to cr cross promote those products and services. We built the social network first, which means our job was really to kickstart a community of people. Once we did that successfully and a grassroots community at that, more most importantly, once we successfully did that, and we probably could say we achieved that a couple of years ago or so, um, then it was really just up to us to shut up and listen and work out what, what do these guys want? Um, if you see the social network as like the sun in a solar system, um, everything else that we offer are just, you know, items on a menu that you can reach out to ad hoc. Or, I'll take this and I'll have distro. And, and some people come to Vampa and just distribute. And some people come to Vampa and are just there for networking. And some people come for the education and then discover, oh my God, there's a whole universe beyond that. 
Um, the idea is that we want them all to be, yeah, a la carte um, as you as you wish, and we won't necessarily be the largest at any of the one of the things that we offer. But something tells me in the state of the world right now, but also what's happening more broadly in music tech, that a lot of these companies are going to come together anyway. And Vamp is kind of showing what that blueprint might look like when you offer a lot of these services side by side. Well, staying with your Galaxy solar system metaphor, do you anticipate adding additional plants and additional services to uh, what you already have on your core product here? There will be two new ones announced by next Thursday. <laughs> oh, come on. So it's, what I'm hearing it, is, it, is you want to break the news on Break the that's News right. podcast. So I can break XM, one up. I can... Oh, by the way, on SiriusXM, shout out to Jim Norton wearing his T-shirt today. Oh, there you go. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Um, he's the man. Okay, so, um, but your question, okay, I can break the news of one of them. So um, we have a news feed. At the moment, if you go into the app and you click at the bottom, you'll see a feed. And that's basically a combination of the people that you're connected with and your favorite artists and news about them and their latest updates. And the news feed was okay. It was good for a couple of years until we decided that it sucked. So we, we've completely redesigned it based on the things that people love doing in the old feed. Um, and we're calling the new section watch and it's not reinventing the wheel. We're again, like we've done with a lot of the other features in the platform, we're borrowing the best bits of other platforms. And then we're saying, how does this make sense to both musicians and creatives and how can we tweak that, ex that experience to apply to them? So, you know, for example, when we design, uh, our version of Instagram stories, which we called vamps, um, we give people a countdown when they hit the record button because a musician is likely to set a camera down and then they're going to need to sit back and, and, and get in place and make sure the guitar's, you know, in the right spot or their, their microphone's lined up. And this is the kind of, <laughs> yeah. So like, these are like these little subtle things like that we go, okay, how do we tweak it to make it appropriate for the people that are our market? And so anyway, we're read, we're read, doing that. So that's one. And that's kind of more of a relaunch of something that we already do, but we're, making a bit of noise about it and the other one i can't talk about because it's in partnership with one of the biggest music companies in the world and it's big so yeah but you'll hear about if it next we, tuesday if we can guess the company will you tell us if we're right uh yeah sure okay fender no we already announced oh, that one. No, we, i know i was <laughs> oh that's true i was sorry this is my segue it's, of saying don't forget to talk about how awesome your blog is because the blog is amazing Oh, you like our blog? Well, I mean, the top thing on this is about how Fender is a new partner. But um, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, I think the blog, oh. is, blog is really useful. And that's the thing that actually, when I first went to Vamper, I clicked around. I was like, oh, this is really helpful. Like so many blogs, yeah. I feel like just recycle the same four things. And the fact that you have like checklists that apply to me, but also other like if you're a new musician, the blog is useful. If you're an experienced musician, the blog is useful. Uh, I just we have a, I, I we love have the a, thank you so much we we have a um an attitude when it comes to educating people well we have an attitude when it comes to our market and our users that uh there's an education gap that exists in music in a in a troubling way frankly in that music is one of the more complicated supply chains in the world uh you think of any other industry i always talk about plumbing for some reason but the plumber just needs his tools from the hardware store his customers which will usually come because they have a requirement there's like three people in the supply chain and then maybe a bank to do some transacting or a couple of banks music's like even at the most basic level 27 roles you've got promoters <laughs> managers pros songwriters band members people who are going to make your merchandise people who are going to sell your merchandise your, your dsp all that there's so many things and so even and ironically the people that this industry attracts are people who never want to talk about supply chains ever because that's not why they got into music right uh, true stories <laughs> so our job is to kind of very gently take them on this journey um and again we know how to do this because i went through this myself um i signed the shitty deals i don't know if that's right but i've signed the bad deals i've done i've i've gone from bedroom musician to playing a stadium right so i know that journey i know it really well and so does most of the members of my team so when we're designing content for the blog we like to firstly assume that 
um, we don't talk to people like they're idiots. Uh, we've got to give them the respect of that, you know, that they deserve, frankly. So we do like this way of do, designing content where, like you already pointed out, Zach, if you're a beginner, you're going to get something from it. And if you're experienced, there's something for you there too. I guess it's like watching an episode of The Simpsons as a kid versus an adult as an analogy. It's wow. like a hard... Apt. That's a good way to put it, man. Yeah. 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 And it, it's so... You know, Zach, I think about how many music tech platforms are out there that do one thing and can't do it well. And to have a platform like Vamper that does things that if any of those things standing on its own would be a great platform or app. But not only do does it do all those things well, but it, it, it gets synergy from doing all of those things together. It gives creators a one-stop shop for a lot of the resources that they need. It is It's great to see it. Since we're talking about music tech, you know, kind of now as a global sense, I want to get your perspective on something that I've kind of heard a lot from the uh, music entrepreneurship and music community recently, which is this idea that we're seeing a lot of new tech coming in the music industry. There's a lot of software platforms. There's a lot of startups. uh, There's a lot of big tech companies. And more and more, I'm seeing this perception that ultimately music tech is creating more value for shareholders than for the creators that's supposed to help. And that ultimately a lot of these companies and perhaps just music tech in general is a net negative for the creative community. Uh, What would you say to that assessment? I've certainly seen the discussion around the idea of music becoming an asset. I haven't really heard that perspective that you just mentioned there where, <clears throat> excuse me, um, it's a, a net negative to the musician. And I suppose that's because when I follow this particular topic, I'm looking at hypnosis, which are paying like 20 plus X multiples on the value of a catalog, which means anyone, any artist that decides that they want to part ways with their IP is getting well and truly um Embursed for that or remunerated for that in a way that is generational wealth and transferable wealth. Um, so, I, and that's the artist's choice as well. No one's forcing them to do that. So, I guess, yeah, my perspective is a couple of things. No one is forcing artists to hand over their, um, uh, their rights to any of these new music tech platforms. And I will say this too like when you, and we can talk about Vampa Publishing in a minute. When we designed that, we asked ourselves what kind of deal would we want to do? And we looked at the other players in the market and we said, and I'm not going to name names because some of them we actually work with now, but I basically <laughs> think every publishing, I think every publishing company that offers like like indie artist publishing deals is extortionate. And sometimes they ask you to pay to play before they've even gotten you a result. And then after you've already paid them, they'll take an even bigger cut than they should reasonably take after they deliver you if they deliver you a result so there's all these problems with um with these music tech companies i think like you identified but my point is is that when you do have competition in the market and there is a lot of competition and you got brands like vampa in there um bringing the quality as well i like to think uh we give consumers choice and those consumers will choose hopefully the best choice for them so yeah there's going to be bad actors there's going to be predators uh, but isn't that the case in any industry? Um, and isn't that what the whole free market system is really designed to do is help let the the good options float to the top? I would like to think so. So that's probably my perspective. Um, and then, as I said, you've got us out there educating people and telling you what to avoid and giving out cheat sheets that tell people not to pay. Uh, you know, if a manager knocks on your door and says, hi, I'll change your life. Just give me $5,000 to run, you know, steer clear. And like we, <laughs> we, we give that kind of advice and um, I'm sure other people do as well. So, yeah, we, we appreciate your perspective uh, on those things um, and just the excellent work that this platform is doing. I, if you're an indie musician, I encourage you to check out Vamper. That's V-A-M-P-R dot me. If you're just looking for, honestly, a really easy way to get connected with other musicians, uh, even if we put aside all of the other products that are part of this Vamper platform, which are all excellent, just that alone, the idea that you can download a platform and get connected and start building your music community within minutes of setting up, within minutes of downloading that app, 
that's huge. And uh, really grateful for the work that you're doing, Josh. Uh, can't wait to see what your app uh, rolls out next. Before we let you go, one last question for you. Do you have any last tips for the indie creators out there to help them move their careers forward? Yeah. Um, if you're, well, I've got always have a tip for an entrepreneur, which would be do your research, um, make sure there's a market for a product. And I think that kind of exists for music too, but I, I'm not a big fan of intellectualizing music creation too much. Um, there's some value in it, but not over, not overly. For a, for a more like a musician or a creator type, I guess I would say practice, right? It's a, the oldest trope in the book, but it's the truest. Um, practice makes perfect. You tune your ear, you tune your craft, whatever that craft may be. Um, I'm sure it wouldn't matter whether you got a TikTok influencer on right now or a, a musician or a singer-songwriter they would all tell you the same thing, which is the first creations that they did were probably pretty bad. Um, and the reason the reason that they got better is because of tens of thousands of hours of, of practicing that craft. So yeah, practice, do the research and, and really value your own time because it's the one asset you'll never get back. Thank you for everything that you do, Josh. Don't be a stranger, all right? We'd love to have you on again real soon. Yeah, let's do it. Thanks, man. Josh Simons, everybody, CEO and co-founder of Vamper. Are you as blown away as I am, Zach? Dude, I'm dead serious. Vamper is going to be the only like social media that lives on my phone. I've pulled everything else off. Twitter got too negative. Instagram, I'm too old for, apparently. TikTok makes me, I can't do it. But Vamper will live on my phone. Because I think this hits all the areas of my life that I actually really want to be connected to. And there have been a lot of folks who've tried to do this, right? There is a mm -hmm. there is a graveyard of social media platforms for musicians. And, you know, we, we won't name any of the corpses that currently reside in it, but there are very, very many of them. And, you know, you've seen them because they tried to be like the Facebook for musicians and it's just never really caught on. But this one works because I think, as as we noted, it takes the best of so many different kinds of social media platforms to create something that is just really valuable for creators. And I like what you were talking about in terms of like wanting to get off Twitter and, and move towards this platform. I've been thinking a lot about that sort of thing because I think I'm having trouble with a platform like Twitter reaching out to the people that I want to get my message to, right? Because it's a very saturated uh, place. Uh, it's hard to kind of direct your message straight to musicians when there's so many other people floating around that ecosystem it's a little too big it's a little too uh, much of a no you know too much noise to kind mm -hmm. of get a directed message to the people you care about absolutely i mean it's and i feel like you know and maybe this is just because i'm the nicest follow on twitter says somebody that i know um <laughs> but i feel like twitter I, has started to incentivize uh outrage over content and yep. Vamper in my experience, in my going through it is there's a void of that. They Vamper is if you're looking for music connections, it's there. If you're looking for music news, it's there and that's it, right? It's, it's very specialized to what we do. And that makes me actually want to spend time on it. So good, good on Vamper. It's dope. With the 60 seconds we have left, Zach, I want to give you the top 10 rolling stone list that just came out of the top uh comedy films of the 21st century hit me and and uh, and so you can i'll just give them to you 10 through one rapid fire you let me know what you think of this list number 10 the 40 year old virgin number nine Shaun of the dead number eight tony erdman number seven punch drunk love number six walk hard the dewey cox story <laughs> number five idiocracy number four stepbrothers number three bridesmaids number two in the loop Number one, drum roll, drum roll, drum roll, best in show. Um, what do you think? I, I, I'll just say I kind of love this list. I might quibble with certain numbers, but there's a lot of Ryan movies on that list. Oh, yeah. There, there's some solid stuff there. I'm going to tell you, so this is of this century. Yes. All right. That's fine. I think the list is great. Where's old school? Just mm. old school is a top 10 on there. Best in show. No argument with that. That's I love best in show. Best in show. It gets better as you watch it. Here's another comedy that I think deserves consideration. Maybe not top ten, but certainly in that bubble area is the hangover. Those are two that I think 
need to be up there. Hangover's a great one. Anchorman, if we're going to kind of stay in like that sort of yeah. pantheon. I mean, Punch Drunk Love at number seven. I mean, I only quibble with, not, not because I didn't love that movie. It's my favorite Adam Sandler movie. Not sure I'd call it a comedy. Yeah, it's a little, a little dark, that it's, one. It's a dark but, comedy. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I guess we're really stretching it. But it's a good movie. So oh, I think it's so I, overall. I think that's. I think it's a list. I. I. I think it's a good list. No arguments here, except for Hangover and uh, Old School need to be on the list. Right on. Our thanks to Josh Simons for joining us this week. My thanks to you, Zach Sloan, for hanging out. Always a pleasure. Our thanks to producer Lauren, and our thanks to all of you for checking out Break the Business. We'll see you next week.